As Ukraine peace talks seem to warm up, Western officials and leaders seem to ramp up escalation. Hello guys and welcome to another episode of Thinking Out Loud. Today we're going to be talking about the Ukraine peace talks. We're going to be discussing some of the tenets that are coming out of the recent peace talks in Turkey. How the climate seems to be changing a little bit. Um, it seems like officials on both sides uh, seem to be warming up to the concept of compromising on certain issues. There's a platform laid out now uh, to move forward with further discussions, although they're still moving extremely slow. But at this point, it does seem like, you know, both parties are willing to capitulate to some sort of ceasefire. They're willing to give up some ground to bring this conflict to an end, at least temporarily. In the last few weeks, we've seen uh, Russia and Ukraine agree to a temporary reel back of operations. We've seen Russian troops move out of the area of Kiev, uh, agree to, like I said, reel back some of the operations, some of the offensives. But while this seems to be happening, we've got Western officials, Western leaders, including Joe Biden, making, you know, very aggressive uh statements uh, i think president joe biden said uh you know for god's sakes we cannot let this man stay in power we've had officials from the atlantic council make statements like you know ukraine needs to fight to the last man uh, they're saying russia's willingness to acquiesce and, and uh, pull back offenses temporarily is just a ruse so that they can you know regroup and and fight back we've got um members of congress saying that we need to send more weapons more bombs you know just a a lot of people in the West, particularly the United States, not so much in Europe, because the people in Europe realize that this war is right in their backyard and they certainly don't want an escalation. But we've seen a lot of uh, officials and leaders out of the United States uh, continue with this very aggressive rhetoric, despite the fact that Ukrainian officials and Russian officials are you know, sitting down, having the discussions that will bring about ceasefire. Uh, I got a list here from about a week ago says Ukraine would become a non-block and non-nuclear state with no foreign military bases or contingents on its territory. This would have strict, legally binding guarantees from countries including the UK, China, the USA, Turkey, France, Canada, Italy, Poland, and Israel, which would agree to protect a neutral Ukraine in the event of attack. So what this is saying here is, and we've heard statements from uh, Vladimir Zelensky as well, that he is willing to capitulate to the idea of not joining NATO in order to bring about a ceasefire and to end this war. And so what this is, is that these countries would be willing to intervene on behalf of Ukraine if they were ever evaded again in the future. The premise of this is to ensure that Ukraine does not continue to ramp up its military, military spending. The idea of that being to, you know, quell some of Russia's concerns about having a heavily militarized neighbor uh, to its west. So that's one of the tenets, not joining NATO, that we've heard Russia talking about uh, before February 24th when the invasion began, and now it looks like we're getting somewhere in that ballpark. Ukrainian negotiator David Arakamiya said this framework would enable a ceasefire to be agreed without Crimea and the eastern regions being settled. The proposal would also enable Ukraine to join the European Union, while barring it from becoming part of NATO's defensive military alliance. All right, so what does some of this mean? I mean, we talked about not joining NATO. I think we've all probably seen an article by now um, where Zelensky has agreed to not join NATO. Right, these other tenets here, though. Uh, the future status of Crimea seized by Russia in 2014 would be decided by 15 years of consultations. 
Now, it's still early on. Um, it looks like the peace meetings in Turkey um, didn't really move forward. We didn't get a ceasefire agreement out of it. But we have this framework now for future discussions to, to build on for future for the two leaders to build on and hash out all the all the fine details that come with such an agreement between two nations, right? So this is important because I think to Russia the biggest thing is that they don't join NATO. Part of being in NATO is you have a required amount of military spending, right? And your military hardware and your command units and your military installations are all intertwined with NATO. They're NATO-backed. You have NATO weaponry. You're part of a military alliance with the West that's led by the United States. Obviously, Russia doesn't want that. So this guarantee of remaining neutral is huge for Russia and I think is most likely their... Um, their biggest tenant, the biggest thing they want to see out of this conflict, right? So it's more and more looking like that's a cemented thing. Luckily for Ukraine, and, and I mean, we could have a discussion about this as to if it's actually a good thing or not. That's a discussion for another time. But this is sort of a good situation for them as well, because if they don't join NATO, they'll still be allowed to join the European Union. But now on the issue of Crimea and the Donbass region, right? Uh, Crimea was seized in 2014. You can say that it was seized, um, but I have some information on that I can share with you guys in another video that I've been wanting to do. Uh, but really, I mean, there was a series of refer referendums in Crimea uh, where a majority of people, you know, wanted to secede from Ukraine and either be autonomous or join the Russian Federation. It was agreed that they would leave the Ukraine. And then after that, Ukraine retaliated. They started moving troops to the border of Crimea, and they cut off the water supply, which is obviously uh, unnecessary provocation. But, you know, they didn't want to lose Crimea, right? So then Russia, you know, moved in, moved tanks and troops in to, uh, you know, ostensibly defend the situation. And if the future of the fate of Crimea is decided by a series of referendums, consultations, all that sort of stuff over the next 15 years, I mean, anything can happen in that time period. You could have Crimea kind of switch its stance and decide that it, it no longer wants to be part of the Russian Federation or, or be autonomous. But if we've seen the sort of numbers that we saw of people advocating in Crimea for, for leaving Ukraine in the future, it's looking like Crimea is going to remain a part of Russia. And furthermore, de facto, it is a part of Russia. It's autonomous part of Russia. It, it's, it's been that way for, what, six, seven, eight years now? It's not going to change. Okay, So we got no NATO. We've got Crimea ostensibly remaining a part of Ukraine. Then we have the Donbass regions, okay, where it is a majority led by separatists, Russian separatists. Okay. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, the war is still going on. I mean, we've talked about how wars can go one way or another or ramp up or, or deflate just with a single straight bullet, right? But from my understanding of the situation, the way I'm looking at it, I don't see an eventuality where the Donbass is not at the very least an autonomous region of its own, like was agreed on originally in the Minsk Agreement back in 2014. I mean, this, is, this has already been decided to a degree. Now, what sort of legal framework that will look like, I really, I don't know. But I, like I'm saying, I don't see an eventuality where the Donbass regions, Donetsk and Luhansk, are not autonomous republics or part of the Russian Federation. I, that's going to be what's going to happen. Okay. And the, the leaders can hash out all the details and things like that 
whatever. I, I can tell you right now. Ukraine's not going to join NATO. Crimea is going to remain a part of Russia. And the Donbass is going to be in some way, shape, or form an autonomous region or demilitarized region. Because of all the conflict that's been going on there since 2014. Okay. There's three things. The three tenets. Now, prior to the invasion, and immediately after the invasion, what were the three things that Russia was advocating for to bring the conflict to an end? Don't join NATO. Recognize the autonomy and, and the sovereignty of, of uh, Russia over Crimea and uh, autonomous or, or sovereignty for the Donbass region. Okay? And these are all things that were, you know, related in the Minsk Agreement. Okay, so that's what it's going to come to. Why did all these people have to die for that? For the eventual outcome that was going to happen anyway to happen? And this is what a lot of people on the left, myself including, have been saying in the first place. This isn't going to end any other way than with Russia getting what it set out to get in the first place. And it should have been dealt with at the diplomacy table in the first place, and all this could have been avoided. You know, you got Western leaders saying, oh, well, we, we never intended on having Ukraine join NATO in the first place. Then what the fuck? Why were you telling them for years that, oh, you, could, you can join NATO in the future? Why in December, the last time Western powers and Russia met, did you not make it clear, we won't let Ukraine join NATO? All of this could have been avoided. But Western leaders did not want it to be avoided because they wanted a proxy war. They wanted Ukraine to do the killing of Russians for the United States. That's what this whole fucking thing is about. And meanwhile, you got liberals in the West holding Zelensky up like he's some fucking Marvel hero. The whole time he could have capitulated and avoided all this unnecessary death. And that's not a, a advocacy for Russia's invasion. Russia's invasion was illegal. You could make plenty of arguments that there was other options they could have, you know, expended before going forward with this action. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because it happened. And it didn't have to happen if they would have capitulated in the first place. It's a travesty. And now here we are. We have these peace talks. They're still going on. Like I said, it can go anyway. We don't know yet. But at the end of the day, Russia's going to get what it wanted. It's going to get what it set out for. And we could have avoided thousands of death and deaths and billions of dollars in damage for the Ukrainian people. But the Western powers wouldn't, wouldn't allow it. They wanted Zelensky to fight this fucking war for him, and the fucking fascists and the neo-Nazis in Zelensky's country wouldn't fucking let him push for peace. He went to the border of Donbass back uh, shortly after he was elected to try to um, implement the Minsk Agreement, and the Nazis there the, that were fighting, the guerrilla militias that were fighting there, and members of the National Guard that were fighting there laughed in his fucking face. Because anyone that holds political power in Ukraine these Nazi groups, these fascist militias have so much power that if you don't do what they fucking say, or if you try to hinder them, they're going to put a bullet in your head. And so we ended up in this, this situation where all these people had to die needlessly. Needlessly. Because we all know how this is going to end. Well, really, it can end one of two ways. Ukraine can capitulate. And the war can come to an end and we can have an armistice and all the things that Russia said that it needed to have in order for this not to happen in the first place happen. 
Or the Western powers keep ramping it up, keep sending weapons, keep this battle going, and thousands of more people die, and maybe we end up with a nuclear fucking holocaust. That's the two options we have here to end this conflict. Which one do you want? A ceasefire and essentially what amounts to the Minsk agreement that was already agreed upon in 2014 or a fucking nuclear holocaust. Which one do you want? That's our choices. So yeah, that's the tenets of the peace talks. Like I said, things are not agreed on right now. Um, It was a step in the right direction. I think we all want this war to end. Well, that's not true. Not all of us. Because like I said, Western leaders are continuing to try to ramp this up. And I have this right here for you guys. Uh, this is Melinda Herring of the Atlantic Council. And for those of you that don't know, the Atlantic Council is essentially the, the U.S. Uh, domestic lobbying group um, for NATO. Okay, Their whole, their whole um, job is to push NATO interests domestically, get the legislation passed through Congress and blah, 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 to make sure they get the funding, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know the drill. You know how lobbying groups work. Okay, so here in a second, I'm going to play a video uh, for you guys of her talking. Uh, says here, nothing has changed. Russia is just buying time with negotiations, says Think Tank. Russia is trying to buy more time through negotiations with Ukraine, according to Melinda Herring of the Atlantic Council. Quote, unquote, it is an attempt for the Russians to buy more time so that they can come back in, regroup, and come back stronger, said Herring, who is deputy director of the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center. All right, guys, I'm going to go ahead and roll this clip for you of, of uh, her talking, of her discussing uh, the ceasefire, and then we'll have a brief discussion on it, all right? Okay, let's do this. So that's, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, the, the, the bottom line is that Ukraine has to continue to fight and fight very valiantly uh, and, and inflict major costs on, on, on Russia until Russia is willing to, to actually engage in real negotiations. The West needs to consen- uh, continue to send defensive material. Ukraine really needs planes. It needs air defense systems. It needs BTRs now, and it needs more artillery. And, and the West needs to tighten more sanctions on Russia. And it's going to take, mm-hmm. uh, take many more weeks and many more no- mm-hmm. months uh, until right. the Russians are willing to actually engage in real negotiations. Milena, very quickly, we are, we are racing against time. This was an offline conversation between me and producer Oli and I. Uh, why the facade of the negotiations then? Is it just simply a distraction? Yes, it's, it's an attempt for the Russians to buy more time so that they can come back in, regroup, and come back stronger. Yeah, so there you have it. So what's she saying? She's saying that Russia who has apparently lost thousands of troops already. Um, you know, I think they thought that this conflict was going to be over a lot sooner with less of a cost. I thought they, you know, it seems like they thought that they were going to just completely roll over Ukraine. So what she's saying is that Russia uh, is lying about the ceasefire talks, the peace agreements that have been going on since, what, almost two weeks in, you know, hit or miss, on and off, right? She's saying that the, that Russia is lying about the ceasefire agreement so they have time to regroup and, and form a new offensive. And what is she advocating for? She's advocating to send more weapons and that Ukraine fight to the last fucking Ukrainian. Instead of what? Be completely conquered and destroyed by the Russians? No. No. Instead of agreeing to the fucking Minsk agreement that was already in place in 2014... And agreeing to things that are already de facto the case. Don't join NATO. Deal with the Donbass situation like it was said in the Minsk agreement. That they already agreed to. 
and recognize the autonomy of Crimea, which is already under Russian control and is never going to change. That's, that's the choices. But no, they want to push for more war. Atlantic Council, that's what she does, the lobbying group for Atlantic Council. Filled with defense contractors. It's, it's fucking sick. You know, you've got these leaders working on a peace agreement with things that are fucking obvious that should have been uh, implemented in the first place to end this fucking war and this suffering and this fucking murdering and murder and death. And you've got people like this that earn a million dollar check a year pushing for more war, more bombs, more guns, more dead civilians. Let's read some of this transcript here. It says, Moscow said overnight that it will scale back its military activity near the Ukrainian capital of Kiev and the northern city of Cherniv. But the Pentagon has cautioned it's not a retreat. Oh, I'm supposed to believe the Pentagon. They never lie about nothing, do they? Russia previously did not follow through with similar pledges. Quote, unquote, nothing has changed today. That's the important point, Herring added. The bottom line is that Ukraine has to continue to fight and fight very valiantly. Why don't you grab a gun and go over there, bitch? And inflict major costs on Russia until Russia is ready to actually engage in real negotiations. Inflict major costs on Russia. That's a key purpose here, isn't it? It's not about Ukrainian freedom or Ukrainian lies. It's about inflicting losses on Russia. You said it. The West will also need to continue to send defensive material to Ukraine. Hey, and while you're inflicting major losses on Russia, let's bankroll Raytheon. That's good for the shareholders. That's great. It will take many more weeks and many more months until the Russians will be willing to really negotiate, she said. Yeah, let's keep this fucker going. Let's keep this cash flow going for many more months because that's good for the shareholders. It's good to bleed Russia dry. I mean, this is what this war is about. If you haven't picked up on it, it's a proxy war between the U.S. and Russia with Ukraine caught in the middle. And there's a clear paradigm a clear set of tenets for this to end today. And the people in the West don't want it because it's good for them. The patricians in Rome getting fat off the machine of death. Now, I did some research into Herring here about some of her uh, past work. And I just want to show you some of these interwoven connections between these you know think tanks and the pentagon and and nato and stuff like that it says here herring has worked for eurasia foundation freedom house and the national democratic institute where she managed democracy assistance programs in azerbaijan georgia and russia so what is the national democratic institute I got some sources of funding here for you. It says NDI receives financial support from the National Endowment for Democracy, the U.S. Agency for International Development, the U.S. Department of State, and the Consortium for Elections and Political Processes Strengthening. U.S. Department of State. I'm sure there's no conflict of interest. And here's one I want to talk about specifically. The National Endowment for Democracy. What is that, you might ask? Here, I got this here for you. National Endowment for Destabilization, CIA funds for Latin America in 2018. The CIA's influence in Latin America is not a leftist rant, quote-unquote. It is an ever-present, and ignoring it represents a real menace for national sovereignty and the continuity of progressive governments in the region. 
In 2018, one of its offshoots, the National Endowment for Democracy, channeled over $23 million to meddle in the internal affairs of key Latin American countries. Under the flagship of human rights, quote-unquote, democracy, quote-unquote, and entrepreneurship, quote-unquote. So that's who this lady is. She's part of the Atlantic Council now, which is bad enough, the lobbying group for one of the biggest military offensive organizations in human history. But she also worked for NDI in the National Endowment for Democracy, which has a notorious track record for interfering in democratic elections around the world. Coup d'etats, guns and fucked up shit and bombs for rebel groups, for moderate rebels. Always remember that. They're moderate rebels. But we're supposed to believe this is about democracy. I don't I, I just I don't even know what to say and I don't know how people fall for this shit. It's copy and paste of the same crap. They don't want this war to end. And now we got this stuff coming out of Buka, a suburb of Kiev, that the Russians in their, you know, callback as a part of uh an agreement to have more discussions about the ceasefire. So they're leaving, they're reeling back operations in Buka and around Kiev. You know, to to push forward with the peace process. Okay, the whole the whole reason for the pullback was about the peace process, right? They just brazenly murdered civilians as they were leaving? As a tenant for the peace process to continue? That's what they did? And you got the New York Times and all these other motherfuckers and NATO officials releasing satellite images of, of this apparent atrocity that's happening there? Do you guys not remember Syria? And the satellite images of the gas attacks that later came out were to be complete fabrications. I mean, how do people not see this shit? Now, I understand that Russia's invasion was illegal and it was fucking wrong and innocent people are dying in the bombardments and shit. But if you can't see that you're being played to have your consent manufactured for another fucking proxy war on behalf of U.S. imperialism, I don't know why I do this show. It's exhausting. The way that... I, the, the propaganda machine in this country is so fucking omnipotent and powerful, it's disturbing. You have been lied to time and time and time again by the Pentagon, by Langley Falls, the CIA, by U.S. politicians to get you in more wars. But this is the one that's different, huh? This one's different. What are you supposed to do with that when people can just shut off the reason switch like this, man? It's sick, man. It's a U.S. proxy war and and Ukraine's caught in the middle and they're fucking dying. They're caught between the Russians that are coming in that are ostensibly defending their uh, security interests. Very legitimate security interests, mind you. Imagine a similar situation with Canada or Mexico here in the United States. How do you think the U.S. would react? And then on the other side, you got Ukrainian fucking fascists, which I expose in other videos, are killing people that are trying to flee. Using them as human shields. It's not good. And every time we send another fucking bullet, another bomb, another drone, 
this war gets worse and worse and escalates and escalates. And again, I'll bring it back to what I said in the beginning of the video. This war is going to end two ways. It's going to end with Russia getting the things that they said that they needed to have for their security interests. Donbass, Crimea, no NATO. Or it's going to end in a nuclear fucking holocaust. It's not a game. And if you're somebody on the left and beating the, 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 the drums of war, fuck you, man. We shouldn't be taking sides in this. We should be making it clear that the peace process needs to continue. And fuck Joe Biden and fuck anyone else that's trying to throw a wrench in it. Fucking CIA spooks, Atlantic Council stooges. No! Quit falling for their shit! You guys aren't stupid. I know they want you to believe you're stupid and you gotta believe everything they say, but you don't have to. Think for your fucking selves. God. But yeah, guys, that's really all I have with you. I just wanted to break down this peace process for you and show you the ways in which Western officials and Western leaders are trying to throw a wrench in the peace process. Everybody wants peace. Europe wants peace. Russia wants peace. China wants pre uh, peace. The Ukrainian people want peace. The only people who don't want peace are the fucking defense contractors and the spooks in Langley Falls, man. So which side are you on? Are you on the side that wants peace and wants to honor the Minsk agreement and, and, and bring this to an end? Or are you on the side of the spooks? That's your choice. Let me know in the comments which side you're on. But yeah, guys, like I said, that's all I have for you. Um, as always, it's great hanging out with you. I'll be rolling out some more content about Ukraine uh, this week. I'll maybe try to do a video on Buka if you guys want to hear about that. You know, I don't know at the end of the day. I don't know what's real and what's fucking fake. We are living in an age of information war. Uh, but I was thinking about maybe doing a video breaking down um, some of the arguments that people have as to why that's a fucking operation to uh, manufacture co uh, consent for the ramping up of this war. So I was thinking about doing a video. If you want a video on that, I know there's a bunch of them already out there. Uh, you know, Let me know. Drop a comment. I'll try to get it out to you guys. But um, as always, guys, it's great hanging out with you, and I'll speak with you again soon. Bye.